You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, everybody. That was pretty good. I won't even make you do it again. Hey, it is really good to see everybody. Uh, It is and has been a really busy summer. Has anybody had a really busy summer? Is anybody ready for summer to be done? I saw like one person. I won't say who it is because they might gang up on you. Um, is everybody like needing two or three more months of summer? Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. This time of year in our community, especially as uh, we kind of wrap up the summer season, like it or not, it happens. What happens is all kinds of stuff goes on in our community. We've got uh, WSU move-in weekend this weekend. Anybody new? WSU going back to school this weekend? Yeah, woo! You guys sound as excited as my high schooler. Um, we got Pullman uh, High School that's just about to, a uh, couple weeks away, school sets back in, and if you are a parent and you've got little kids or middle school or high schooler students uh, and school is around the corner, normally that creates a big, like, Sigh from mom of relief, you know, the grocery bill is going to go down a little bit, the house will not be quite such a disaster, right? Normally, parents are the ones that are really excited for school to start, not so much the kids. I know in our house, we have five kids, um, four boys, one girl, and we are in a weird season. This is our last school year as parents. Our youngest child is a senior this year. And uh, in our house, when school was about to start, it was always like a two-week celebration leading up to it. With four boys at home all summer long, there was a lot of broken things and messes. So when school started, we wanted to bless the teachers with our children. Um, And so that season's coming to an end, so I'm not sure what we're going to celebrate anymore after that. Probably just my wife will celebrate whenever I leave for work or something. I don't know. So there's just lots going on. I'm super glad that everybody's here. I love seeing people roll back in and getting back in the groove of things, and that's just the nature of our community with the way things go. So thanks for being here this morning. We are glad that you're here. We're going to dig into uh, one of our uh, messages from the Sermon on the Mount this morning, and we're going to dig into some text in Matthew 5, and in this text, we're going to dig into some really practical, real-life stuff. We're going to dig into some things that are really critical ingredients for us to learn and understand to be kingdom citizens, to be in the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus sometimes says, or in the kingdom of God. We need to know how to live according to the kingdom principles or guidelines. And that's what we're gonna dig into this morning. It happens to be from a time where Jesus was doing what we call a Sermon on the Mount, really just meant he was sitting down on the side of a hill with a bunch of people and really specifically kind of targeting his disciples. So as he's talking to them, he's talking to his disciples amongst the mess of other people going on around him. And as he's speaking to his disciples, He's been talking to him about a number of things. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Beatitudes. We talked, Josh talked last week about the law and how that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, which is a word that doesn't mean what we think it means. It doesn't mean like get rid of. It means it, it, he didn't come to mess it up. 
He didn't come to twist it or manipulate or, or confuse us about the law. He came to fulfill it, which means he came to be the like living example of what it looks like to walk out obedience to the law, like actually practically be a guy that followed the law and for our benefit. And, and as we follow the law, like Josh mentioned, it's, it's not a list of things that we don't, you know, rules. The law is there so that as we follow it, it helps us express our love and commitment to God, right? It gives us guidelines of how to love. Like if you're married, wouldn't it be nice to have like the seven ways to love your wife in black and white, right? That would make things a little simpler some days. It's that kind of a guideline, and then he gets into this next section with his guys and he starts to teach them about some really important kingdom principles. You got to think about it. Jesus is sitting down with the guys that he's going to entrust to take his message forward to the ends of the earth. And he is sitting down with them and he's in the context of what they've learned in the past and the people that are around them and the culture that they're in. He's like, here are some lessons that you guys have to know if you're going to be my ambassadors, if you're going to be my representatives, if I'm going to trust you to introduce people that haven't heard about me, if I'm going to trust you to introduce me to them, to introduce them to this new kingdom that I'm bringing here to earth, then you need to know some stuff because I don't want you to just keep doing what you've always done. We've got to do some things differently. That's the heart Behind this talk, Jesus has given his guys on the side of this hill. The cool thing is, even though it was 2,000 years ago plus, a lot of what he taught them then is still really relevant for us this morning. A lot of the kingdom principles that he was pushing them to engage in and think about are the same things that I'm going to push you to engage in and think about this morning. The first one is one that probably nobody here has an issue with, so you might as well just take a nap for a minute. He's just going to talk about anger. Right? Starts off in Matthew 5. Let's take a look at what he says. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means like idiot, isn't answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, who uh, may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. So, like, what we've got to understand out of the gate is Jesus is, is leaning in and pressing on some issues with his guys. He's trying to help them understand it's not about the letter of the law. It's about the heart of the law. Like, it's not about don't commit murder, right? He's like, we're not looking for blind obedience to the words, don't murder. We're looking for a whole new way of living in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, we actually deal with our anger 
and our problems with each other long before it ever leads to murder. And it's gonna make a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of community with people that live by the heart of the law, not just don't murder, right? Now, it's important to understand, like he's saying, that the, a person that is angry at someone or calls somebody an idiot or a fool, which means everyone in this room, he's saying that you are essentially guilty of the same punishment, like you've got the same thing coming as a person that commits murder. One of the things people wrongly do when they read this is they apply American legal system to it. So that if, if you murdered someone in Pullman, you, you translate it like this in your head. Well, is he saying if I murdered somebody in Pullman, I'm the same as a guy that thought about murdering someone that didn't? Nope. This has nothing to do with the legal system. This has to do with being right with God. We're not talking about laws and our courts. We're talking about a different standard when it comes to being righteous, right with God. So what he's saying is if you wanna be right with God, you need to understand that whether you actually commit murder or you just hold and arbor, harbor ill will and anger for someone in your heart, in God's economy, both of you are not right with him anymore. That's what he's trying to help us understand. And he gives them some really practical guidance and instruction for it. He says, you need to actually get serious about dealing with your anger, right? He says, you need to drop everything, set your gift down at the altar and stop and go deal with it. Like that that doesn't make a lot of sense to us because that's not a a way we practice and worship God. We don't bring a gift to the altar. Uh, A practical way that would make sense to us, an example of how serious we should take dealing with anger and, and conflict and problems with people would be something like this. This is one way. It's definitely not the only way. But one way to help you have a picture of how serious this is, is if as you're getting ready for church, you realize that you are actually pretty ticked off at somebody from work still. You're harboring ill will, bad feelings, bad thoughts about uh, your cousin from the last weekend's thing you did together. Or you remember that someone is actually still really mad at you and you knew about it, but you haven't done anything about it yet. Like when that hits you, you should actually stop not go to church that day and go reconcile with that person, if possible, immediately. Like that seriously is how you should deal with conflict and anger. It it might mean you gotta make a phone call, it might mean you gotta shoot somebody a text and coordinate and say, can we have coffee? It might mean if you're somebody you're close to, you can go just drive and knock on their door. But like you, he's like, if you wanna be kingdom people, One of the things that's different about us in the kingdom is it's not just that we're not going to murder people, we're actually going to deal with the hard feelings that we have for each other when they come up, because they will, and when they do, we're going to be the kind of people that love each other enough that we are going to deal with our anger with each other. Good news, the next one he hits on, a lot easier, a lot easier. Probably only 99.9% of you have a problem with this one, myself included. The next one is this. Matthew 5.27, let's look at that, or 5.21. He says, you've heard it said, uh, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Ow. 
it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He says, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Here's the thing we need to understand right out of the gate. This passage is not just a talking to guys passage. This is an everybody passage, okay? We're on the same page. This is an everybody passage. What he's saying is, again, I'm trying to teach you guys how to live in the kingdom. In the kingdom, it's not just about don't commit adultery, right? It's sort of like this. It's sort of like me saying, hey, this isn't just about don't commit adultery, because guess what? If we just went anywhere outside of here in town, drove down to Dismore's right now and randomly found a stranger, tapped him on the shoulder and says, I know you don't know me, but I got a question for you. Is it okay to cheat on your spouse? They'd be like, you're weird and no. Right? Like anybody knows that's not right. No matter who you know or what God you follow. Like we know. And Jesus is like, it's not about just don't commit adultery. It's about deal with the root. Where does it start? How do we handle those things? And when we do sense lust coming on, how do we handle it? By the way, when he's talking about lust... He says, when you look at another woman, so a lot of people can misinterpret this and go, oh, I'm not supposed to look at any other girls. Like, I need to have, like, good luck with that, right? Here's the thing. Listen, let me clear it up. Seeing attractive people is not the problem. If you see a beautiful girl or you see a stunningly handsome man, that is no big deal. If you lust for people, Lust is the problem. Beautiful people are not the problem. Your lust is the root. That's what he's digging out. Like, if you lust for another person, lust is when you start to, like, daydream and fantasize and things start popping in your head and little stories start rolling that are not for young children. Like, that kind of junk. It's a little embarrassing, but, hey, if you're human, it's been there. That's what he's talking about. And he's like, and, and I need you to deal with it when it comes up. If we're going to be kingdom people, I need you to deal with it and deal with it radically and drastically and immediately and seriously. In fact, I need to get your attention. So I'm going to say it in such a crazy way that you can't ignore how big of a deal this is. So he uses what's called hyperbole. It's where you use like a great exaggerated statement to make your point right? He's like, gouge your eye out if it makes you sin. Cut your hand off if it makes you sin. It's the same thing I say when I'm really hungry. I'm so hungry I can eat a horse. Told my son to clean his room a million times, right? We use this great exaggeration to emphasize a point, to show this is a really big deal, right? That's the point. He's like, when it comes to lust, when it creeps in, you better deal with it, and you better deal with it in a big, important, major way, Right? A lot of times what happens is uh, in our culture with social media and all that junk, a lot of people will go, oh, my, my ex popped up on my Facebook and they got divorced or they broke up or my high school sweetheart or the guy that I had the biggest crush on. And somehow, some way, miraculously, they're in everything I see and I see their Instagram and I see their Facebook and it just keeps making me think of these things about the what if my life would have been and blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, you start to daydream and fantasize and you're slipping down this slippery slope of like lust starting to leak into your thought life, into your heart. 
And Jesus is saying, you know what? When you feel that creeping in, you know what you need to do? You need to respond immediately and deal with it. Like immediately, guess what you do in that case? You delete Facebook. You delete Instagram from every device you have. And if it takes a now until the death, you never look at Facebook again, did you never look at Facebook again? Like you radically gouge out your eye, delete Facebook. Like you deal with your stuff. Guys sometimes will come, and I've talked with a lot of guys that have the, this problem. We, there's new survey and statistics coming out about pornography, and it's like um, 60, over 60%. I can't remember the exact number, but it's over 60% of guys look at porn like four or five times a week. It's a really big problem. One of the huge parts of the contributors to that problem is the invention of these goofy things because it's right at your fingertips all the time. And it's available night or day, when you're weak, when your spouse is away, when you're tired, when you're dumb, right? And guys are like, I tried and I tried, but I keep looking at stuff I shouldn't look at. And I even put protection stuff on my phone so it says I'm not supposed to be able to, but I actually figured out a way where that doesn't check this part, and, right? They go through all these stupid things. And you know what the answer to that? In Jesus' teaching in kingdom living, like if you're going to be a kingdom citizen, like the old way was... Just don't cheat on your wife. The new way is smash your phone with a hammer. I'm not joking. Right? Like, you don't need a smartphone to live. Find somebody that you know that's really old and ask them what a flip phone is and if they have one in a cupboard, you can borrow. Right? There was phones before... I know this is crazy, but they didn't have pictures and movies and stuff on them. Like they just actually made phone calls. Like that's how you would deal with it. Gals a lot of times don't have the same type of issues. They don't have the, their struggles with lust don't oftentimes, not always, but don't oftentimes look a lot like a guy's struggles. Oftentimes for a gal, it's something more like this. It's something more like, my life has been really busy. We've got young kids. Everything's crazy. My husband's super swamped at work he, for, for months and months and months. He's paid less and less attention to me. We're tired. And I, I just, ugh. it's like going home is like, ugh, right? But at work, there is this guy and he really is nice to me. And he notices me and he cares about me and he pays attention to me. He's actually curious about me. He asks questions and then days and weeks later, he actually follows up and remembers what I said to him and, and wants to know how it's going. And for gals, they start to slip into this slippery slope where lust doesn't look like lust looks like for a guy. For a gal, it looks more like starting to imagine what your life would be like with him instead of him. To imagine what it would be like to have this dreamy boat lifestyle of this wonderful man and you start to give part of your heart away. That's lust creeping in. And for a gal, in those circumstances, you know what you need to do, the gouge your eye out response? If you can switch departments, do it tomorrow. If there's a way to make sure that you actually don't ever see that guy the rest of your life, do it. Well, I, what about my career? Who cares? If you can't do it and you need to quit, quit. If you need to get a different job, get a different job. Like You need to fight to guard your heart and protect your marriage. Right? That's the kind of stuff Jesus is teaching these guys on the side of a hill. 
He's like, you're going to be my ambassadors. You're going to teach people about kingdom living. You're going to tell them what it's like to live in this kingdom and why this kingdom is better. Like there actually has to be some good to the good news, right? How awesome would it be to be a part of a community where people dealt with their anger, fought for their relationships, and didn't cave and give in so easily to their impulses? It's starting to sound like there's some good in the good news. Next one up. He says, it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I gotta give a little uh, disclaimer up front before we jump into this one regarding abuse. If in the past you uh, were in an abusive marriage and you were being emotionally or physically abused or your kids were and you needed to get out of that marriage, you need to understand this isn't a one-size-fits-all. That's not talking about your circumstances. If you're currently in an abusive relationship, an abusive marriage where, where you are being emotionally or physically abused or your kids are, if there's any risk of, of danger, of damage to you or to them, you need to ask for help. You need to come talk with any one of us. You can grab my card and just email me secretly. Whatever you've got to do, reach out and ask for help. We will do whatever we can to walk with you through that hard stuff and help you find the right resources, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. For the rest of us that aren't in those circumstances, what Jesus is talking about here is it's not about you can get divorced under the right circumstances. He's like, guys, we need to make sure that everybody knows coming into the kingdom that we're different. We do things differently in the kingdom. We fight for our marriages. We fight for reconciliation. We work hard to work through our differences. We stick it out and tough it out. We don't look for the easy out for the one excuse under the perfect circumstances. We always look first for how to work through our things with each other. It's not about what can you do, it's about what would you do differently if you genuinely fought for relationship. He's painting a picture of what's different in the kingdom and inviting them in to be a part of it and help share that news with other people as they go out. Let's do the next one up here. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I've tried, it doesn't work. All you need to say is simply yes or no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Luckily, none of us struggle with keeping our word, right? If we say it, bam, it's as good as done. I can't remember half the things I say, much less stick to it, right? Jesus is going, here's the deal. We need to be people who stick to our word. And he's addressing some specific things that were going on in the culture at the time. What, what, what was going on in the, in the first century with the Jewish rulers and leaders is they were making up a new set of rules to which you could decide whether or not you had to keep a promise. And so essentially, most rabbis agreed, if you made a promise or a vow, and it explicitly was in the name of God, those are untouchable. You can't break that one. But 
There was a whole bunch of other ways you could make vows. You could make a vow or a promise in the name of the gold of the temple or swear by the gate at the city or swear by the this or the that. And those, it was commonly known, were acceptable promises to break. Sort of sounds dumb, huh? Kind of sounds a little bit like your, kid, your sibling kids going, you said you'd promise to do the dishes because I was going to promise to do your thing and then the other kid does this. Yeah, but you didn't know I had my fingers crossed. And you're just like, oh, I'm going to kill you both. You're both doing the dishes, right? Right? It's that sort of silliness really at the heart of it. The problem that Jesus is digging into with these guys is that at the heart of that issue was that it let God's people make promises that were conditional. It gave them an out on their vows. It would be like, I promise by the such and such to do this. But in their head, they're going to follow through as long as this and this and this works out for them. If it doesn't, they already knew they swore by this thing that's okay to break. I vow and I promise to do this and this and this, but if it doesn't work out, I already know I have an out. I can break that promise. And Jesus is introducing a new way in the kingdom. He's like, in the kingdom, we're going to be different. We're not going to just make vows. In fact, I don't want us to make vows at all. I want us to only just have our yes be yes and our no be no. He's like, essentially, I want us to make unconditional commitments. No strings attached. I want us to be able to say yes to something and follow through with it, no matter what the circumstances are. If we said yes to it, we do it, period. Call me crazy, but I think that would be a cool kind of community to be a part of, a community where people are dealing with their anger, dealing with their hangups and hurts with each other, quickly, not letting them harbor and holding grudges, a place where people are fighting to safeguard their hearts and protect their marriages, and holding each other accountable and helping each other out and coming alongside each other and sticking it out through hard times in their marriages and hanging in there with each other long term. And when they make a commitment to do something, they stick with it. Like it's starting to sound like the kind of people you would want as friends. This next one's a little messy. Let's take a look at it. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over the coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, uh, go two miles with them. Give to those who ask you and do not turn away from those who want to borrow from you. Man, if there's any one of these that has the implications to like really represent us well, represent us as unique and different as Jesus people, this has got to be one of them. Like, it's really hard not to want to have revenge, not to retaliate, to feel like we need justice, fairness, repay evil for evil, right? But instead, to be the kind of people that repay people's meanness, harshness, hard words, mean talk, bad deeds with, like, love and grace and patience, and kindness, and gentleness. Like, you gotta understand those things don't come natural in the heat of the moment when someone has wronged you. I want you to think about something. Remember we were talking earlier about anger and about how 
Jesus is talking to his guys and going, it's, it's not just about don't commit murder. It's about deal with your anger. I want you to imagine if you had a little bucket, you know, like a little bucket you'd wash the car with. And on the front of it, it says mad. This is your mad bucket. You carry it around with you everywhere. And your mad bucket, every time you get mad, you throw some chips in the bucket. And every time you're mad, you throw some more chips in the bucket. And then every time someone's mad at you, you throw a bunch more chips in the bucket. That counts for a bunch. And then you get mad again, or you're upset, or you're offended, or someone cuts you off, or Facebook's stupid, or politics this. And you just, over the weeks and months, your bucket is just full, and you just throw them on top, but they just fall out. Because you just got a bucket of mad that you're dragging around with you everywhere. Right? Now along comes somebody that is evil and does mean things to you or says something hurtful to you and you got a bucket of mad and anger just ready at the, at the, at the helm, right? How do you respond? Like, oh, I got something for this. Right? Like it just spews out of you because it's at the ready. But if we start to live according to kingdom principles, if we start to actually walk out these things that Jesus is teaching, that our mad bucket is actually always empty. And when we hear a chip drop in it, we're like, whoa, what was that? That sounded weird. That's new. I should deal with it. And you, you deal with the offenses that you have with other people and the hardships and the hurts and the anger. And you reconcile and you ask for forgiveness. Then when someone does evil to you, you, don't, you aren't so quick to repay evil with evil or seek justice because your mad bucket's empty. It's easier for you to be kind. It's easier for you to be patient and loving. Jesus is calling us to live in this kingdom under kind of a, a new set of rules. He's like, God's people had rules. They were meant for their benefit. They had a hard time following them, and they got so focused on following the letter of the law that they completely missed the heart behind it. He's like, I'm here to help you understand how to practically live out following me. Let's look at this last one. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not, uh, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anybody else does, right? Do not even the pagans do that. He says, but be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And real quick before we jump in, that word perfect, Greek word is teleos, it's a good translation of it often says complete or mature. Uh, it frequently is translated, other times it's translated as holy. So the idea, when we as Americans see the word perfect, it brings up all kinds of junk in our head, right? And so when you say be perfect as our father is perfect, we're automatically like disqualified, I'll never be like that. And we just stop listening, right? I'll never do that. That's not the picture he's trying to give us. The picture he's trying to give us is be holy as God is holy. Set apart for a purpose. Be mature. Be growing to be mature and full in Christ like our Father is mature. That's the picture he's trying to shoot for. Now he's going back and he's saying, you've heard it said that you should love your friends but you can hate your enemies. And he's like, and I'm here to call you to a whole new standard, something different. Not a higher standard, a better standard. 
This isn't about heaping on a harder thing for you. This is about helping you get to the heart of the right thing for kingdom living. He's like, I'm here to call you to the right thing. Love your enemies. He gives these examples that seem really funny to us, right? If somebody walks up and slaps you in the face, you should go, hey, you want to slap my other side, right? We don't live in a world where people walk up and slap us randomly in the face. Thank you, Pullman. You're so friendly. Um, No one has punched me in the face or slapped me yet. This is a very friendly town. But we have enemies, right? We have people that are hard to deal with that we would much rather strongly dislike or even hate than love or pray for. In our world, enemies look a little bit different. Like some examples that might help you understand is maybe it's like what happens when you're at work and you've put weeks and weeks and weeks into a, a project and you've done all the work on it and all the, put in all the time and the energy and the effort and the labor and the whatever and somehow at the very end someone else comes in that didn't do any of the work and is kind of your arch nemesis at work and they actually get the credit for your project. You're like, Ugh. right? That, that stuff stews up in you. Jesus is like, yeah, that time right there, that's the thing where I want you to respond by praying for them and learning how to love them. That's different about us in the kingdom. Or if you live in a neighborhood and you got a neighbor that lives across the street from you, you don't actually happen to have a dog and you're pretty proud of your grass because it takes a lot to get it looking just right, right? You give it a sweet haircut twice a week, whether it needs it or not, because it's got to be level and even. You like the beautiful, lush, green yard that you've created. And your neighbor has a big, beautiful, large dog. Did I mention that you don't have a dog? But somehow you have dog byproduct in your yard all the time. And you're like, day after day, you clean it up. Week after week, you clean it up. One time you step in it and just, you're like a cartoon character, like steam coming out of your ears, right? Like you're just like, this is why I don't have a dog. And you know that the only person in the neighborhood is this guy across the street that has a dog. But you've never seen him do it and you don't know what to do about it until one night you're up late grabbing a glass of water and you look out the window and what do you see? You see your neighbor with his dog on a leash walking to your yard on purpose Jesus is like what do you do in the kingdom when you have enemy neighbors right do you bag them all up and give them a gift at Christmas the ones you've been saving for six months like most of us kind hearted Americans would right Do we give him a special little present or do we act differently when we're in the kingdom? He's like, in those circumstances, when you actually have an enemy, I want you to pray for him. I want you to love him. It's like, what would it actually look like? It might look like you actually go over and knock on the door and just say hi. You might go out of your way to just get to know your neighbor because you actually care about your neighbor learning about this kingdom that you're a part of. The fact that you are so proud in a good way and so excited and so eager for other people to experience kingdom living like you're experiencing it, that you're actually way willing to overlook the stupid doggy do offense because 
getting to know your neighbor and having him be a part of your community and your kingdom and experience the stuff you experience is so much more important to you than that that it actually doesn't even bother you. The longer you follow Jesus and the closer you are to the Lord, the more excited you are about living in the kingdom and helping other people get in there with you. That's what this talk is all about. In fact, when Jesus' disciples got so fired up about it and got so on board with it, and they, along with the early church and the first Christians, they got so excited about it that they actually took this good news of this new kingdom to the ends of the known world at the time, and people were getting in and jumping on board and signing up to follow Jesus and getting involved in kingdom living from every background, no matter what their nationality, no matter what their race, no matter what their social status was, no matter if they were rich or poor, man, woman, or child, like everybody wanted to be a part of this new kind of way to do living, to live together, to love each other, to come alongside each other, to look out for each other, to care for the needs of one another for real. For me, I get excited when I think about like what it would look like for us, right? What it would look like for us on the Palouse. Like if we unleash kingdom citizens on the Palouse, people that are, that are proud in a really good way, not arrogant, obnoxious proud, but like proud like you are of being your grandpa's granddaughter. Like, like you just like proud like family pride. A healthy, right with God pride. Those kind of people that were just proud to be kingdom citizens, to be Jesus followers, to be people that let their offenses go, that deal with their junk, that love each other, that don't try to fight to get revenge, that try to fight to pray for people that are ornery and nasty and mean to them. Like, if you unleash those kind of people on our community, I think there will be a lot of people that would want to be a part of that kind of community. I think that there's plenty of things that they can be a part of out there and none of it looks as good as a bunch of people that live that way. You guys, we're the good and the good news. Like our transformed, transformational lives, like our hearts changed, committed, proud to follow Christ is the good and the good news. It's pretty cool stuff. We're going to switch gears and move to our time of communion this morning as we're wrapping up. So if the ushers would go ahead and pass those buckets, um, the buckets are going to go by. And if you drop your connection cards in those when they come by, that would be awesome. And then right after that, they're going to pass out communion. And at Real Life, if you're new with us, um, we have what we call an open table. And so that means that if you want to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, then we would love for you to have communion with us. Uh, when they pass them out, just hold on to the bread and the cup, and then we'll take communion together in a couple of minutes when we're wrapping up here, okay? So, while they're getting all that stuff passed out, let's kind of chew on a couple takeaway things. We do these things at the end of the sermon always, and we call them implications, and the, the heart behind it is that we want to kind of just chew on a couple things so they're fresh in your mind as you're leaving, And so let's take a look at the first one. What are you measuring? What are you measuring? Here's what I mean. Are you kind of gauging your 
good standing in the kingdom? Like, are you, are you like, I'm right with God, I'm right in my community of, of Jesus followers because I don't murder and I don't commit adultery? Are you measuring your commitment to the letter of the law? Or are you actually measuring, I'm right with God because I know that I've dealt with the anger that I had for other people. I've gone and sought out the people that were mad at me and I've, I've went for reconciliation and I've asked for forgiveness and whether they respond or not is out of your control but you know that you've done your part. Are you measuring this new way of living in the kingdom, right? Let's look at the next one. Who is doing life with you? Who is doing life with you? When you think about Jesus giving this talk to, this, to his disciples, they had each other, they had community, they had fellowship, they had a greater community around them. As he was giving them this teaching and these instructions, they have people they're doing life with. As they're trying out this stuff, they're, they're fleshing out how to not respond and retaliate and sometimes failing. Sunk in really good for Peter as he hacked a guy's ear off, right? Like they didn't get it perfect. Who is walking with you? Who knows your stuff? Who knows if you're harboring anger against somebody else? Who knows if you're struggling with lust? Who knows if you're thinking about looking for a way out and divorce? Like, does anybody know? And if you don't have people in your world that know those things, drastically, radically get serious about pursuing those kind of people. Those relationships don't develop overnight, but like get in a home group, talk to my wife or I, get involved with a men's or a women's group. We'll help you get plugged in with other people. Be intentional about pursuing real relationships and, and opening up and letting your stuff out there. That's what this community is for. Last one. Who are you doing life with? Now here's the twist. If you've been a Christian for more than a few years, if you've been at this following Jesus thing for a while, I would hope that you have people that you are pursuing and investing in, that you are seeking out and doing life with. You're not waiting for people to come ask you. You are going to people and going, hey, do you have somebody in your world that's helping you walk out this Jesus stuff? Like, what do you do when you struggle with anger? Do you talk to anybody about it? No. Would you like to talk to me about it? I would like to be there for you. Like you, be intentional. Doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean you do it right every time, doesn't mean you have it all figured out, but if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you pursue somebody and invest in them. That's what it looks like to live in our community and in, in the kingdom with Jesus. Those are the kind of people that live there. The cool thing is, is that because God sent Christ to walk out what it looks like to fulfill the law, to teach us and to teach the disciples how to introduce kingdom living with Jesus. Like we have these awesome messages and we have examples from generations before us of people that did it great and did it not so great. And we can learn from them. And ultimately we have the opportunity to do all of it because of what Christ did for us on the cross. We have relationship to have our debt paid once and for all and get invited into the kingdom. 
through the price he paid for us on the cross. And that's what we remember each week when we take communion together. We remember that on the night he was betrayed, he had the last supper with his guys and he broke bread and he gave thanks and he said, as often as we get together, let's eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup and he told them that this was the cup that represented the new covenant, which was his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as we get together, let's drink this in remembrance. We're gonna wrap up by just worshiping God together. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have folks who are gonna stand off to the left and right here on the sides that are gonna be there to pray with you. And so if God's stirring something in you and you need to like go talk to somebody and say, I need somebody to pray for me, I'm super mad about what, 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 what. Go pray with somebody. Don't just like, sometimes the Holy Spirit stirs stuff up and then you just sit on it. Don't sit on it. Go and talk to somebody. Ask for prayer. Let them pray for you. And so we're going to go ahead and get up and sing. And I would just invite you to just worship with us. Or if you need to go and pray, go and pray. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.